0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And, you know, Jesus always found himself surrounded by fellow Jewish people who were begging for his attention, and they were hanging on to his every word. But was Jesus a popular rabbi? We're going to discuss that today with Beverly Canaris. She's here with me in studio. Beverly has been a Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years, and uh, she's also the uh, co-host uh, of a podcast called She Is Becoming. Always glad to have Bev on the show. Bev, welcome.
2: Thanks, Bill. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, so it's a kind of a loaded question, but was Jesus popular?
2: Isn't that a good question? It is a great question. Think about it. I, Our minds kind of go... Two different directions when we start talking about that. You know, if you are somewhat familiar with the Bible, you may say, well, of course, look at how he taught. He fed thousands. He did all these amazing miracles. Uh, Look how many he healed, how many people hung on his words, followed him everywhere he went. Uh, He taught as one who had authority, the people said, unlike their other spiritual leaders. But on the other hand, your mind may be saying, All those religious authorities really seemed to hate him. They were very threatened by his popularity with the people, and these leaders were always trying to find ways to disgrace him, to undermine his teachings. They would point out where he was violating the Sabbath stipulations, and mostly those man-made ones. Yes, indeed, he would run right over the top of them. Uh, People walked away from him when he started to talk about his body and his blood, and Finally, you might be thinking the rejection of Jesus ended in crucifixion. And you know what? Popular people usually don't end up on a cross. They usually don't. No. Nope. So let's look into this a little bit more. Today, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible that can shed some light on our question. Was Jesus popular? Luke 4, verses 14 through 30, has been a passage I've spent a great deal of time in because I had a lot of tough questions I was asking of it. So this is kind of my process of how I answered those questions. In these verses in Luke 4, it tells us about a time when Jesus came back to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, in these verses, it first appears the people are praising Jesus, but the next minute they're trying to kill him by pushing him off a cliff. What happened to his popularity to cause this shift in such a short amount of time and in his hometown of all places? Well, there's a real tension in this text, as one author put it. It seems that Jesus deliberately sabotaged his popularity among those whom he lived. Now, isn't that fascinating? Aren't you interested into how that might have happened? The scene starts so well. <laughs> Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Now, this is about one year into his ministry. Luke doesn't go into as many details as John does for that first year. So the Gospel of John would have more details of what preceded this. Next, we learn that Jesus does indeed go to Nazareth because it's in that same region, the city where he grew up. He goes into the synagogue, the one he would have attended in his early years as a boy. And it says also that he went into the into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus went into, physically, into the Lord's house. And, you know, I just want to pause there a minute. Since COVID, I I see many, many people who are not going physically into church. They're doing it online. And I was so appreciative of that option when it was COVID. And I could, you know, I'm in my bathrobe with my cup of coffee and I'm I'm, you know, being part of the service that way. And for some people, that is their only option. But for those of us who have the option, I think it's important to physically put ourselves there with people, with God's people. I certainly notice a difference when I am sitting on the couch in my robe and when I'm in church. I I have a harder time worshiping with all my heart and really being in the Spirit when I'm at home, when I'm sitting in the congregation with believers all around me and I'm hearing it live, something really happens in my spirit and I feel a part of his body in such a way that really moves me and the, the songs move me more. Uh, I mean, I'm up and down a thousand times during the music part, you know, if I'm at home. So anyway, just a real good example from Jesus is that he went there. He put himself there, and that was his custom to go into the synagogue. Now, these were people in this Nazareth synagogue who knew him and his family. This is the hometown boy, you know. They had heard about his teaching, his miracles, his popularity. In the synagogue, he stood to read, and maybe it was um an offering to read when he stood in the synagogue they read from the scripture from the law and then from the prophets so different parts of the old testament the scroll from isaiah was handed to him now we don't know if he asked for it or it was simply the book that was to be read that day and jesus finds it says that he found so in other words he had to turn and keep on you know rolling this this scroll until he came to isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, just the first half of verse 2, and he reads it. And listen to this as I read it. Jesus is really going to be describing himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He only read to that point the last half. Aren't you interested to know what the last half of verse 2 said? Why he didn't read it? It read this way. And a day of vengeance of our God. That really concerns his second coming when Christ will come, and he will come this time as judge of the world. So he's finished reading from Isaiah. He rolls up the scroll. All the eyes are on him, and he sits down. Teachers in this day would sit to teach rather than what, like we do today, we stand when we're teaching. Then he says to them, here's the punchline of it all. Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. So the central truth he shared is that the Messiah has come and it is he. Jesus was claiming that on the testimony of this Old Testament prophecy, he fulfilled this. This is who he is and what his mission is about. So that is a beautiful summary of what Jesus came to do. So before we go on any further to try to understand why this audience is going to turn on him, let's just reflect on this aspect of Jesus's ministry. Let me ask the listeners, as you're hearing this, do you know this Messiah, the one who knows your spiritual poverty, because he came to the poor, and one who loves you so much that he wants you to know you can be free from your guilt and shame due to sin. He's going to set the prisoners free. This Messiah Jesus, who will give you spiritual eyes, maybe you feel blind to really, you don't know God, you don't understand the things of God. He wants to give you spiritual eyes to see him and to see your life and this world in light of his truth. Do you know the only one who can set you free from the oppression of your own sin and the oppression of the evil one? God wants you to know his favor. That's how this ends. It says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. How do we come under this favor of the Lord? We do this when we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ message of scripture is repent of your sin and believe in the one who became unpopular so that you might have the Lord's favor. This can be your year of the Lord's favor, your life of the Lord's favor. God favors us. So often we question that. God favors us as he would his own son when we receive Christ. What a beautiful truth. If you break this truth down that Jesus read in the synagogue that day, you really see such a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ came into this world to do. All right. Back to Luke 4.
0: (laughs) That was a nice little uh, diversion. That was a great, um, great, that was time well spent, Bev.
2: Yeah. You know, we can't ever teach God's word without going back to the gospel. Amen. And this goes, that went right back to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we often wondered, why did Jesus have to come? I remember being, before I received the Lord, I wondered, why did Jesus come? Why did he have to die? And this passage really tells us why he came. It was all for us. Well, okay, back to Luke 4. Let's see how the people in the synagogue now respond after Christ sharing this with them. I mean, this is this is huge. This is what they've been waiting for for centuries. And here Jesus says, I'm fulfilling this, and it's right now, and it's me. Verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? You know, doesn't that just seem so positive? Yet, we know too that Jesus knows the hearts and the thoughts and the truths, that Jesus was sharing here were most likely just being heard as sometimes we all hear sermons. Oh, what a wonderful. Oh, that was so great. So beautiful. Oh, he said it so well. You walk out the door. You can't even remember what he said. You've done nothing about it. They didn't want to apply it to themselves. In other words, it was just a good talk, but there was no heart connection there. There was no self-examination. They didn't see themselves and the state of their own hearts but Jesus is going to expose it to them. So we'll stay in the darkness unless the Lord reveals the true state of our hearts and our need for him. They had a distorted view of the Messiah and his ministry. So Jesus is going to now kind of take them on a self-examination and test them to show them what's really in their heart. So Jesus begins to reveal their heart when he tells them in verse 23, Surely you will quote to me this proverb, physician heal yourself and you will tell me do here in your hometown what you what we heard you did in Capernaum truly I tell you no prophet is accepted in his hometown I believe here he is revealing a prideful desire to have their hometown boy show off his powers and this will reflect well on them they want to show and not a savior
0: now, well, that's interesting uh- Analysis. We're going to take a break as we talk about this amazing topic. Was Jesus popular? And we're doing that with Beverly Canaris. She's a Bible study fellowship teacher and also um, co-host of a podcast, She Is Becoming. We'll take a break and be right back.
1: listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: Welcome back to the show. We're talking today with Beverly Canaris. Was Jesus popular? Well, we know people were drawn to him because of the love that emanated from him. And every time he would always bring the correct perspective on people's relationships with each other and even their relationship to God. So he was amazing in how he communicated to people. Uh, but we're we're just anal- doing some analysis out of Luke um, chapter 4 with Bev. Bev, let's uh, pick up where we left off.
2: Okay, so here Jesus is in a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he has just said from the passage in Isaiah that that, the The day of the Lord's favor had come, that this um, Messiah, this was a prophetic passage that he read from, and it, he said he fulfilled this now. So he was saying, I'm the Messiah. And the people, again, spoke well of him. Everybody thought he was a great guy. and But Jesus knew what was in their heart, and they really hadn't taken the truth in for themselves. They didn't even realize they needed a Savior. They really were just looking for um, themselves to be built up in the fact that he was from their town. So Jesus is going to go deep into them and to expose their pride and their prejudice, because they're not going to see their need for a savior until they see their sin. Now, this is definitely going to offend them. You wonder, you know, Jesus, it's going so great here. Why do you have to bring this up now? Wait till you see what he brings up. He's going to offend them, and it's going to take away his popularity. Jesus was never anxious for his popularity. Jesus was only anxious to do the Father's will. And what a role model that is for me. Mm -hmm. So let's continue on then in verse 25 of chapter 4 of Luke. Jesus said, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So that he's, they're talking about cleansed of, of um, leprosy. Wow. So Jesus is pointing out, look, these people went to the Gentiles and were blessed by them. Verse 28 goes on to say, now, how did the people take this? They don't want to hear anything about being blessed or that the Gentiles had any good in them. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town, took him to the brow of, of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Whoa. My, how fickle people are. Yeah. One minute we're praising him. Now, this all happened in this. This is the same scene. Yes. And, this is and the Son of just, God we're talking about. He, he's just identified himself as the Messiah. Yeah. But you touch their pet sins, you expose what's really in their heart, and this exposes it. Yeah. But, this isn't the end of the passage, it says, but he, Jesus, walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So what just happened here? <laughs> Why did Christ purposely offend at a great risk to his own popularity and even his own life. Yeah, right. Why did he do this? This is the question I wrestled with all month long, and I've been thinking about, praying about it, reading about it, trying to understand what was fully happening here. Okay, so here's some of the conclusions I've drawn. First, he was correct in saying a true prophet would not be received with open arms, but with rejection, just like all the prophets in Israel's history. This is a true statement. When you go back and read the lives of the Old Testament prophets, they were all mistreated because they told the truth. They spoke for God. And the kings and the people only wanted to hear what they wanted to hear, what was to their liking. In fact, in in times, uh, we're told in the epistles that people will only want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. They just want to hear good things, and that is our nature we don't want to hear the truth about us. Now, the Gentiles treated the prophets more kindly than the people of Israel, and they received blessings because of that. And that was a hot button. That set them off in such a fury. The second thing I notice here is he was reminding the people of Nazareth that God had always intended to bless the Gentiles through the Jews, not exclusively for the Jews, but their pride and their prejudice regarding the Gentiles was so great, here they go again, wanting to kill a prophet, even the Messiah. So Christ was really revealing their self-righteousness, which which had to be addressed before they could experience God's salvation. They thought just being an Israelite, hey, I'm in, automatic Mm -hmm. salvation. We've got the law. That's exactly all we need. They thought with that law, they could just pride themselves, although they couldn't keep it, uh, and they would find themselves righteous before God. But you know what? That was never the law's intention of God giving it. The law, it was never meant to be, here's your list, obey everything perfectly, and I'll like you. That's not why God gave it. Mm -hmm. He gave it to us so that we would see our need for him and would seek him for his grace and mercy and forgiveness. It was always uh, the law's purpose to reveal sin and to um, give us moral guidelines. Now, keep in mind, and this is the third thing I've noticed here, the gospel of Luke was written to the Gentile audience. So that's a little different than, than Matthew. Luke includes this to encourage the Gentiles that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was for them too. I think that's a huge point that Luke is making here. And this is why it's included here in Luke. Now, this is a dramatic scene, isn't it? But it ends with Christ walking right through the crowd, untouched. Several places in Scripture, we see Jesus kind of slipping away Mm -hmm. and not hurt when he's really threatened. And the, the response is his time had not yet come.
0: I know, but doesn't your brain fill in blanks like, all right, here's this mob that wants to take him to the brow of the hill to push him off a cliff, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way, yeah, what happened How'd that you know do, how did he... do you
2: I, I just what do you picture? I picture <laughs> this power and this radiance coming from him that like when the soldiers fell down when they yeah. came to arrest him. Yeah. It's a similar scene where the presence of him was so um unmistakingly of power and beauty and glory it it's just you he's our creator you you just fall back mm-hmm. in front of him um and i i just think that's a beautiful picture of another confirming fact that this was christ this was the son of god this was god with us on earth and how he walked through that crowd and just went on his way Always perfectly in control. Mm -hmm. Don't you love that? I do love that. This is what this shows. God is always in control. We may think the crowd's got us and we're we're just, we're done or whatever. Whatever life situation you're in where it's, you're overwhelmed and overtaken by circumstances. Hey, God can part the Red Sea, right? Mm -hmm. And he can part the Red Sea for us as well, just as he parted this angry mob and walked away. So... What's the takeaway for us today, just from this Luke 4 passage? Well, as a Christian, you too are called to be a prophet, to share the gospel with others. Scripture warns us that we can expect to be persecuted. As we identify with Christ and his kingdom, we will not be popular in the world. As it causes, when we really preach the gospel, it causes guilt, it causes judgment and sin to be pointed out to them. That makes it somewhat unpopular in today's world of feel-good, only good news for us. Do we fear rejection and so do not share your faith as commanded? Do we treasure our popularity or what people think of us more than helping others to come to Christ and have life, real life, eternal life? The Apostle Paul wrote on this topic, Galatians one ten. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? If I were trying, still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ.
0: So good, Bev.
2: Something to think about, isn't it? It is. We're all in that position. I mean, will we risk our popularity or our reputation Will we risk to take that moment and to share that good news with others or yes, not?
0: Yes and yes. Those are my answers.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Yes. And you do my... it every day. Yes, I do. Yes, yes you do. do.
2: The good news.
0: Yes. And I look at Matthew 11, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse six, it says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me.
2: Oh, yes.
0: Great reminder. Great sometimes reminder. sometimes you have to wrestle through the material and realize Jesus is who he says he was and that you are not offended because it's the power with which you can be saved.
2: Exactly. So
0: you're not offended and you don't care what people think. No. And you don't care to be popular.
2: No. it Just trust the word of God and to be the one who brings people to faith. You know, say it, trust him in it. Yeah. It has power.
0: All right, Bev. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: It's a delight.
0: Yep. Yeah, Beverly Canaris has been my guest. We'll take a little break and we'll be right back with lots more.
1: listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat
0: performance. So anybody that wants to pray through the book of Psalms or take me on an adventure through the book of Psalms, I instantly call friend. So my new friend is John Greco. He's written a book exactly about that. It's a devotional adventure through the Book of Psalms, and it's called The Ascent. And I'm just so glad to have him on the show, because I love the Book of Psalms. John, welcome.
3: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So, uh, first of all, way to go. The book is beautiful. and you. you, uh, I'm curious about your love for the the Book of Psalms, and tell me what prompted you to want to write this book, The Ascent. Yeah, so it's actually kind of funny. Like, so I'm a, I'm a Bible geek. I
3: love scripture. I love digging in, but I really love like, you know, narrative. I love getting into the history and the culture and, and all that stuff. And and so Psalms has never really been my you know book of choice. Um, and the idea of reading through it as if it was just any other book of the Bible really you know never really struck me. I know some people do that and you know, read you know five Psalms a day and a proverb and every month, um, but I've never been that guy. Um, but, uh, you know, we had this, uh, this thing, I don't know if you know about it, but the pandemic, remember that?
0: I do remember uh, that. 20, <laughs> 2020. I'm old, I'm old enough I, to remember that. <laughs>
3: 2020, the spring of 2020, I found myself for the first time in a long time, you know, working from home like everybody else. And, uh, suddenly I had, you know, my mornings free. I wasn't stuck in the car on my commute. And so I said, well, I'm going to use this time to, to draw closer to the Lord, and I had made it a habit at the office to, to read a little bit of the Gospels every morning before work, but I said, I've got more time now. I'm going to read through the book of Psalms. Um, the reason I picked Psalms was simply because, you know, it was you remember that time. Everybody right? was anxious and filled with uncertainty and grief and what's happening and where is God in all this and you know, hearing about friends getting sick. And it was just a whole, you know, a whole, just uh, a whole ball of confusion and so I said, you know, the Psalms, you know, David's crying out to God in many of Psalms. Not always David, but, but David is, is largely the guy who does that. And, um, and there's a lot of questions, and it's just very raw and real. There's always emotion on the page. And I said, you know, that sounds right. That's when, like, where I need to be. I need to have words for my feelings. And so I, I just started reading one, one Psalm a morning. Uh, and then as I started reading, I realized, you know, that Bible geek part of me that wants to dig again didn't go away. And so I started taking notes. I started asking myself questions. I started, you know, circling and highlighting those troubling verses that didn't seem to make sense. And then I would dig in and do research. And I was, you know, at first this was just for me. I was just taking notes. And then uh, I realized that, you know, what I had there might be helpful to other people. So I decided uh, to put together this devotional. I, I, you know, chose devotions, uh, devotionals as a, as a tool. I feel like, you know, people are more likely to read a one or two page devotional that's encouraging. Um, but it will also help them uh, dig deeper into Scripture than they are if I just wrote, you know, like a commentary. And so that's where it, that's where it started. And I just, you know, every every day I my new treasure. Huh. So I just loved it. And, you know,
0: yeah. John Greco is my guest. His book is *The Ascent*, a devotional adventure through the Book of Psalms. And John, let's let's dig into a couple. Let's look like at the patient love of God in Psalm ten. Psalm ten. So you're gonna you're gonna catch me because
3: I don't have them all memorized.
0: That's okay. But, I I know you've probably got your uh, your hand on a copy of the book. So
3: yep, I got it. I got
0: it. Yeah, I mean, you talk about when we endure harsh or unjust treatment, we want God to move on our behalf, right? Yeah. And if He doesn't, it feels like you know, where are you, God? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's really a tough. It's one of those
3: questions that kind of we all have. In fact, like, you know, honestly, this morning I was talking to my wife about. You know, something we're facing, and I had that same question: like, where are you, God? Why is this taking so long? Um, we've been praying. We know you're good. We know you're going to answer, but where where is the answer? Um, and that's you know that's what uh, what's going on in Psalm 10 there. But um, you know, Scripture kind of tells us you know that God God's love is patient, and we think, oh, patient. Oh, I got to wait. But what that what what God means when He says His love is patient is that He's not willing. To just go ahead and wipe out evil in a heartbeat because he could right he could just say you know tomorrow all right that's it everybody that's every you know every sinful act i'm going to wipe off the face of the earth i'm going to remake creation i'm going to you know save um save all, all who have been who have been blameless but the problem is none of us are blameless right right um, peter says you know second peter he says the lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness that he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish. So the problem, the problem with God taking care of evil quickly or instantly is you and I are evil, right? You and I have done wicked things, and there are people who don't know Christ who are still lost. And if he were to, if he were to come back today, those people would be gone. And so uh, God, God's patience is so that as many as possible might be saved. That's his goodness on display, So, yes, we still live in a world that's broken and people hurt us, and and it feels like sometimes God isn't there, but he's patient, and his timing is perfect, and we'll just hold on and wait.
0: Yeah, and John, this psalmist cries out in Psalm 10, verse 12, Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God, do not forget the helpless. We feel that way from time to time, and thank goodness he hears every word we utter. Yeah, the thing about God that's so it's to, kind of kinda hard to wrap your mind around, right? But the truth is he is
3: one hundred percent fully loving, fully good. But he's also just. He's not gonna let the wicked go unpunished. Right. So, you know, when some when something happens to us and we we you know, we have this sort of like automatic offense, right? There's there, you know, a part of it is it's not healthy to live with that when you can give it to the Lord. But also that sort of um It's an echo of who God is. God's just, right? When something wrong happens, he's going to correct it, right? He's going to put things right. And that that is a good instinct in us to want justice. Um, We just have to remember, you know, that justice is doled out in two places, right? It's doled out either at the end of history, at the judgment, or it's doled out on the cross. And, you know, God has provided this way so that we can escape condemnation, we can escape the judgment by clinging to Christ. Mm -hmm. That's that's the good news, right? Yeah. Um, So—
0: yeah, my guest is John Greco, which I have to admit is a fun name to say. And the book he's written is called "The Ascent: A Devotional Adventure Through the Book of Psalms." All right, John, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a fastball here. Let's uh, talk about Psalm 23. It's a psalm everybody knows. Oh,
3: yeah. So this is I mean, this is one of those psalms that I think everybody knows, but you know, it's 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 um, you know, things that we become so familiar that we kind of lose sight of what's really happening. Um, one of the things that kind of caught me off guard uh, was reading this psalm. Um, and, you know, I'd read it a thousand times before and, and, and knew it, you know, by heart. And, um, in fact, I think, I think when I was a kid, I had to memorize it in French class. So I, didn't, I knew it in French at one point. Um, but the thing that kind of struck me as I was reading through uh, this time was just how personal it is, right? Um, the Lord is my shepherd, not our shepherd, not you know, everybody's shepherd, but my shepherd. And, and that continues through, through the psalm, right? It's all these very personal um, pronouns, right? So it's he guides me, he leads me, he refreshes my soul. It's like, it's like you as the reader, uh, God's intending you to see yourself as his, as his only concern. Right? As, he, as you are so close to him, you are as if you were the only sheep in his pasture. Um, and that's just, to me, that just, that, that is somehow, um, one of the most magical things about God, right? And you think about, you know, he's the king of the universe, right? Everyone answers to him. He loves, he loves everyone. He's got every concern, you know, every concern that's, that's, that's lifted up to him you know, is before him, but he still treats every one of his children as if they are his only child. Um, and it just, you know, it, it's one of those, it's one of those beautiful, um, it's one of those beautiful psalms that um, just kind of speaks to who God is, and I love I love the way it ends. Right? It's it's no longer. You know, it starts out. You know, we're supposed to picture ourselves as a sheep out in out in the field, and we're being led, and then all of a sudden we're 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 in God's house. Right?
0: So mm-hmm. um,
3: you know, it <laughs> says, "Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." So we go from you know being a sheep in His care. Who, you know, is being, uh, he's keeping us from danger, providing for our needs to, oh no, we're, we're a kid at home with dad. Um, and it's just beautiful.
0: Mm hmm. John Greco is my guest. John, I know that David uh, wrote a lot of the Psalms. What are the, the other au- authors of Psalms? Who did you, who stands out for you? Who, who did you really like or who were you drawn to?
3: Oh, well, you know, the one, so, so some of them we don't know, right? Some of them are just the psalmist and we have right. no idea. Some guesses, and then you know, we know Moses wrote Psalm 100, and and, and Asaph wrote some psalms. Mm-hmm. The one, uh, and I, I'm gonna, I'm going to be caught off guard here because I don't remember what number it is, but there's a psalm that uh, Solomon wrote, and it struck me as just being the most tragic of all the psalms, um, because it's the psalm where he says, "Unless built, the Lord builds a house; the late, the, the, the labor is done in vain." Um, and that always struck me because if you learned about Solomon's life. And God was building him a house. He had promised David that he would build, build his family's house and would work through Solomon. Solomon had everything you could possibly want, right? He had, God had spoken to him you know, uh, and appeared to him in, in dreams, and uh, he was given wisdom beyond what anybody else had, had ever experienced. Um, and he was you know, the wealthiest man um, of the day. And you, know, you couldn't imagine uh, being you know, at peace during his reign – it was just this perfect situation, and yet he turned to other gods. He let his wives seduce him into into chasing after and worshiping other gods. And um, you know, it's just it, that house that God had promised him. Solomon let go to ruin um, because of because of how Solomon behaved. Right? God took took the kingdom and split it in two to Judah in the south and Israel in the north, and and you know, it, it, it ruined. It ruined the beautiful thing that God was doing. Um, so that to me just always struck me as the most tragic thing, that he knew that, right? He knew I have to let God build this house. I can't do it on my own. He wrote about it, and yet he
0: still didn't heed his own words. So interesting. Um, some of the writers are sharing their anguish and their despair, of course, in Psalms, and we identify with that. Um, I, I think of Heman in Psalm 88, and I go, oh, my I mean, here's a here's a, a psalm that ends in despair. You right. almost can't believe God would allow that to stay in. Uh, but I think yeah. God knows who we are when we're so desperate. Yeah, there's this, you know, if
3: you read that psalm, you know, you have to kind of like, is there anything encouraging in here? <laughs> Let me look and see if there's any word of yeah, any, any oh, hope. And, uh, what's that? Is there any hope? Yeah, the the only thing you have is like in, in verse one where he says, "Lord, you are the God who saves me," and then from there it's just you know like <laughs> right. pouring out his anguish and his, his complaints and and um you know like you know I titled this in the, in the book a psalm without a happy ending, yet, and the, and the reason I wrote that is because I feel like this is a lot of times this is this is what we do right we go to God, and we don't wrap up our prayers with this neat and tidy you know, uh, Thanksgiving or this, you know, confidence. I mean, I hope we do, but a lot of times that's just not what happens. Um, we, we go and we, we, we deliver our cares, our burdens to, to the Lord. And we, we, you know, maybe affirm who he is just as, just as the psalmist does here, right? Lord, you're to go the to God who saves me. Um, but, but we leave it there hanging and the God and God has an answer for that. Right. God says, yeah, the, the story isn't over yet. Right. We're all, we're all, Uh, all of us in the middle of redemption history, right? God has has not made things right yet. You know, it says in the book of Revelation that a day is coming when there'll be no more death or or mourning or or grief. And that day is not yet here. And so when we don't have that happy ending, maybe, you know, as we're reading the Psalm or just in our own lives when something happens, um, that's not the end of the story. For those of us who know Christ, there is an ending coming up, a happy right. ending beyond everything you can imagine. Right. Um, so that's what we have to kind of, we have to, as we read stuff, we have to fill that in ourselves and go, like, okay, that's right. That's where this is going.
0: And when we see humans' hopelessness and depression on display, I'm sure he wasn't thinking back then when he was writing it, that one day thousands and thousands of years later, there would be people reading yeah. his work. It's so funny no, how we yes. work.
3: Yeah, and it's hard to do that a lot. Yeah, what did he know about redemption history? All he knew is, God is the, you know, Lord, you're the God who saves me. Right. And, so, and so that's kind of, you know, you know we, we kind of, as, as New Testament Christians, we kind of say, well, we know how the story's going to end. We have the book of Revelation. We know Jesus is going to return and all of this. But the reality is, you know, we, we, we don't know all the details. We don't know how history is going to go. Is Jesus going to return this year or is he going to return 100 years from now or right. 1,000 years from now? We don't know. And so we are very much in the same position as Heman. We
0: have to to trust that God is good. He is the one who saves. But we don't have all the answers. We Mm -hmm. can't map out our lives. Mm -hmm. John Greco is my guest. He's written a book called The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with John in just a minute.
1: listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: Welcome back to the show. John Greco is my guest. He serves as editor of the He Reads Truth Bible and New Testament Theological Editor for the NIV Cultural Backgrounds Study Bible. We're going to have to get you on the show to talk about that as well. But his uh, latest book is The Ascent, A Devotional Adventure Through the Book of Psalms. And I love Psalms, and he does too, so we're having a a lively conversation. David was chosen to be king when he was so young. John, why do you think God chose him if he knew that he was going to be uh, responsible for so much wrongdoing? Yeah,
3: um, I mean, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart.
0: It's kind of one of those
3: phrases that, you know, it's poetic, but it also, what does it mean exactly? What does it mean that David was a man after God's own heart? And as, as you read through the Psalms, you get, uh, and even just reading through the, the historical books that tell us about David's life, You find that over and over again, David returns to the Lord as his only hope. You know, he knows that there is the only true lasting joy um, is found in God's presence, he says in Psalm 16. And he just he knows that there's 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 no one else he can turn to other than God, no matter what's going on in his life. And that's true when he's, you know, on the run from Saul. It's true after he's sinned with Bathsheba. Um, It's true at every point in his life. It never changes, and so I think um, when, when God says He's a man after my own heart, what, what that means is that David is 100% thoroughly loyal to God. I mean, just look at his response when the prophet Nathan calls him out on his sin with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. You know, he he doesn't make excuses, right? He's he's cut to the heart. He knows in that instant when he's when he's when it, when his, the reality of what he's done is put on display for him to see, he immediately you know is he's gut-wrenching like just repentance right and um and 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 so i think that's it it's not that he's perfect it's not that he doesn't sin it's that he no matter what he's always loyal to god and he's you know he doesn't um he always returns he always comes back he's always he's always god's man um and i think you know in our own lives it's an encouragement because you know i screw up all the time right i I mess up i I sin and you know the difference is am i going to Cover up my sin? Am I going to hide from God? Am I going to turn the other way? Or am I when I am when I am confronted with it? Am I going to turn to Him in repentance? Am I going to uh, come to Him in sorrow and um, and and you know truly draw closer to Him um, because I know He is the only one who can forgive my sins. He is the only one who can wash me clean. Um, yeah. So that's I think that's the kind of that powerful example that David gives us. And again, we don't want to whitewash it and say he was a perfect perfect right. guy. His sins are big, um, but he was also, you know, like the Bible says, he was a man after God's own heart.
0: Mm-hmm. I love Psalm 19, uh, verse 1 says, The heavens declared the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So we're seeing the beauty of creation. And, and uh, what do we learn for, about day and night from Psalm 19? Maybe you can explain that.
3: Well, I wrote uh, in the book about how um, the, the sky is itself... You know this beautiful gift from God. No matter where you are on the planet, no matter whether you're in the desert or out in the you know the grasslands or where it's you know frost all year long or whatever whatever the case is, no matter where you are, we all get to look up at the beauty of the sky. And the sky is beautiful, right? I mean, if you take a think think about it, I mean, just the other day, my wife and I were walking through our neighborhood, and I looked up at the sky. There's these beautiful pink clouds that were, you know, just kind of, it was was sunset, and they were kind of doing this funky gray pink thing in the air. And it was just like, I couldn't take my eyes off it. I kept talking. (laughs) And just think about this like, this is this gift. This is God, this artist who gives us this this beautiful painting, and it changes throughout the day, every day. And, you know, it, and it's always telling us something about it, right? Whether it's, you know, the beauty that I'm talking about, or it's, oh, it's raining. He's watering the earth. He's providing for us by, you know, all the crops are growing, and it's feeding us and all this stuff. Or, you know, it's um, it's just it's giving us shelter from the, the, the heat, right, the clouds, that kind of thing. It, no matter where you are, it's always telling us a story about what God is doing, and we all get access to it. There's no, right now, there's no, there's no way that, you know, the 1% could take the sky for themselves and leave us all without it. Right. right. It's for everybody, rich, yeah. poor, doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter where your background is. Doesn't matter how you've sinned. We all have the sky and it and it does. It declares the glory of God. It tells us how good he is. Um, but I also say, you know, there's, it doesn't tell us the whole story, right? Um, no one's going to stare up at the sky and discover that, that, that Jesus died on a Roman cross for their sins. Um, so it, it points us to God, but we still need scripture. So it's kind of like, you know, for anybody who um, pays attention, it's going to kind of start telling the story. It's going to let them know there is a God and that he is good. Um, But then he's given us the scripture so that we can, so we can be drawn to him uh, in a very real and tangible way. We can walk with him and not just go, huh, the creator, whoever created us
0: must be good. You know, it goes beyond that. It tells us specifically what he did so that we can be with him forever. Mm -hmm. John Greco is my guest. His book is The Ascent, a devotional adventure through the book of Psalms. All right, John, um, Psalm 34, that describes God's faithfulness during a a difficult season by protecting the psalmist. So maybe explain why a a righteous person is described as having no broken bones. Now, keep in mind, I've got orthopedic surgeons that listen to my show, and they're probably not going to be happy to hear this.
3: Yeah, now this is this is one of those psalms that kind of like I said, I, you know, as I was reading, I circled the weird things, and this is one that, that I definitely circled. I uh, went back and did some research. So um, Psalm 34 is written by David, and the, I'll read it for you. The little, you know, that sometimes with the psalms we get a little title information that tells us a little bit about the the circumstances or what it's about. And this one says, Psalm 34 of David, when he pretended to be insane before elect who drove him away, and he left. So what that's referring to there's a there's an account in um, in uh, I believe it is I'll tell you exactly what it is it is First Samuel um, 21 and David's on the run from Saul and he's you know he, he can't find a place to hide in Israel and so he says you know what I'm going to do I'm going to go I'm going to leave Israel I'm going to go hide out in uh, the Philistine territory I'm going in fact I'm going to go to Gath which is if anybody has their Bible that's where Goliath was from the, the, He's laid, and so he goes, to, he goes to Gath. He hides out there, but before long, the people in Gath sort of figure out who he is, and the rumors start spreading that David's there. So uh, David decides, well, they're going to kill me, so I better I better figure out a way to avoid uh, their wrath. And he pretends to be insane. He goes around acting uh, crazy. He's frothing at the mouth. He's you know he's banging on the doors, the gates of the city. He's you know, he's clearly um, not all there and so Abimelech came he he's, he's not going to kill David because there's no there's no glory in killing a man who's obviously insane and so David escapes and David thanks God for protecting him right because that could have easily gone the wrong way um, and he says he has this great line where he says um, uh, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones; not one of them will be broken. And that grabbed my attention because I thought to myself, what if David, that has been pounding on the gates of the city like a madman, had broken a finger? Would God's uh, protection have been any less? Um, you know, if they had gotten in a shot and then he walked away with a broken leg, would that have been would that have been enough to say, well, God didn't protect me? I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, any any Jew who would have read this psalm would have thought, oh, no broken bones, and immediately been transported back to the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. right, where we read about the Passover lamb, and God's instructions on that on the Passover lamb was you were supposed to have a have a, a lamb without blemish and kill it and put the blood on the doorpost so that um, God would pass over the Israelite homes when um, when the plague of the death of the firstborn came through Egypt. Um, but then they were supposed to not break the bones of that lamb, and it's it's kind of an odd um, an odd command. But the idea was, well, you're going to be in a hurry. God's deliverance is going to come soon. I want you to. I don't want you, you know, packing up leftovers. I don't want you, you know, no time for the the bread to leaven. No time to pack mm-hmm. up leftovers. Don't break the lamb up. Just go. Yeah. And so this idea of a lamb without blemish, a lamb without broken bones, gets kind of cemented in Israel's history and in Israel's collective mind as as this righteous sacrifice that stood in their place, right? They were, they were full of blemishes, and this, this lamb was not. They were broken by sin. This lamb was not you know, physically broken. And so that's what David's saying, is God will protect, and he will keep us spotless. He will keep us perfect, just like that lamb. Um, and then obviously, you know, this goes, you flash forward to the future, and you've got Jesus on the cross, right? right. And what happens to Jesus? They're going around breaking everybody's bones so that they can call it a day. And they get to Jesus, and he's already dead, so they don't break his bones. Right. Again, another picture of this is, this is the righteous one who died in our place. And, and you know, so we all now, in, in light of Christ's sacrifice, live with Christ's righteousness. We are the ones who don't have
0: broken bones. That's so good. All right, John, it's been a delight meeting you, and your book is yeah. great. And uh, where can we find more information of, about you and, and uh, your other work?
3: Yeah. um, So my website is just pagesofjoy.com. I blog there and I have information about articles and and other books that are coming out and stuff. But yeah, pagesofjoy.com.
0: All right. Let's do this again. And I want to talk about some of your other work as well. You're a delightful guest and I appreciate meeting you. And I know my listeners have as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you you having me on. I enjoy talking with you. Yeah, you bet. Have a great rest of the day. John Greco has been my guest, and the name of his book once again is The Ascent, A Devotional Adventure Through the Book of Psalms. And if you're like me, you love Psalms, and you love every book you can get your hands on that, that helps you study Psalms. And again, John's book is called The Ascent. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week.